kind of always feels like you're at your own eulogy or something when someone introduces you like that. Um, <laughs> Benji uh, has been uh, kind of in our family circle for years. I mean, going back a long time, I'm going to step off the stage, break the wall. Um, let's go ahead and put up the first picture. Um, we went through our pictures last night, and um, it's one of my kids in the bottom right, but let's zoom in on the back row. <laughs> That's your pastor. Even then, even then, we knew that something great was being birthed within him. And, um, and then he went on to wow us with his athletic um, feats and, and abilities. And, and, um, but... <laughs> It's Benji in the bottom, the top, and the left, and his uh, brother Daniel in the right. Um, one of the blessings, I, I grew up moving every three years. Uh, my dad wasn't military, but he would get headhunted from company to company. And so we would move every three years. And when uh, Carol and I moved uh, back to the States from England uh, to San Diego, I have been shocked that uh, we haven't ever left. And not that it's a not a great place to live, but when it's kind of in your blood to keep moving, uh, it's kind of hard to kind of kind of settle in. I, I had a, a, a man in our last church uh, years ago say to me, um, your problem is, is you're a nomad. And I remember it was like a prophetic thing. He came up to me and he thumped me on my chest and he said, uh, your problem is you're a nomad. You're a nomad and you need to settle in to whatever God has for you. And one of those blessings has been um, being able to watch uh, women and men that uh, we have um, poured our lives into grow up and be leaders and be deployed around the globe in the kingdom of God. I have to confess to you that um, I always get nervous uh, before speaking. And I think it, it goes back a long ways, but uh, when I was in grad school and we had to take a preaching class at seminary, uh, that doing a theology class, doing a biblical theology class, doing a history class, that was all easy for me. But doing the communication preaching thing, I mean, I would sweat just before even standing up before the class. And so when my day came to finally give a message, uh, this guy that was our preaching um, instructor, he was from Scotland and had this deep voice. It was like hearing Braveheart preach uh, all the time. And, and he, would, he always said something positive. And I remember saying to my wife, Carol, um, that it's going to be really hard for him today to say something positive. And so I went in, gave the message, and was just kind of drumming my fingers before the class, waiting for him to speak. And he said to me, he goes, Mr. Slumpka. And there was this, this long pause, just like this. And it went, and the longer it went, you know, the, those little hairs on the back of your neck that you forget you own start standing up on, on end. And, and he goes, Mr. Slumpka, has anyone ever told you that you have dynamic monotone. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> so, <laughs> hopefully you'll be blessed this morning uh, <laughs> by dynamic monotone. <laughs> 
And with that in mind, um, let's uh, open up our Bibles, uh, your apps, whatever, to Matthew chapter 18. Benji asked me to speak on forgiveness uh, this morning. And let me just say uh, at the outset that I recognize that for some of us, this is going to be a hard word uh, this morning. Um, forgiveness is heart work. It's, it's deep soul work. And, and some of us struggle to live in that place of, of being a forgiving person. And so uh, as, as we look at this passage this morning, uh, I, I really want to ask you to examine your heart, your mind, and to consider this question, am I a forgiving person? Does, does forgiveness come easily for me? Because in this series, Heart Renovation, Becoming Like Jesus, let me just say at the outset, you, you will never be Jesus. So when we say becoming like Jesus, that almost seems a, a bridge too far because I, I can never be like Jesus. But I can live my life in such a way that people look at my life and say, that person is a follower of Jesus, that the likeness of Jesus is in the artfulness of our lifestyle, how we live, the freedom with which we live, the manner in which we conduct our relationships, the generosity that we express to other people. In doing so, we become like the one that we follow, and probably there's no area greater of greater challenge uh, than to forgive like the one that we follow. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let me lead us in prayer uh, before we look at the scripture passage. Father, this morning as we gather in your presence, God, we ask in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would be with us today. That you would be the shepherd of our souls, that you would be our pastor And that you would pastor us into the life that reflects the one that we follow. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. So forgiveness is a big deal. Jesus has us pray for it. The Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts, our sins, as we forgive those who are indebted or sin against us. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is praying like Jesus. These are the things that Jesus prayed for. Jesus tells a paralytic that his sins are forgiven and, and then raises him up. He is constantly talking about forgiveness. In fact, on 42 different occasions across the four Gospels, Jesus has something to say about forgiveness. And probably the clearest one, uh, at least for me, is in Matthew 18, uh, 21 to 35. Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and, and repayment to be made. 
So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy as I had had mercy with you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Now, I have to confess to you that I love studying the scriptures. I love especially understanding the context and the culture of the time. Um, I was raised in a Jewish home, and so the Jewish context uh, of the New Testament is especially meaningful for me. So, so trying to kind of get my head around it. And so I want to go back through this story so that we could then take some application about forgiveness and the practice of forgiveness. The first is, is that uh, this is a, a parable about kingdom life. Jesus says, for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. And so what it's like is presented to us here. And it is meant to be a place where forgiveness is readily given and received. And so, so he tells this story. And he, he says that for the kingdom of God is like a man who owed 10,000 talents and then another man who owed 100 denarii. And so I thought it might be helpful for you to see that Jesus has this amazing sense of humor because these are preposterous sums. So if, if you look up at the screen, um, I forget how I put them up, so I'm going to come down here. Uh, one denarius is, is one day's wage. Uh, and then a talent equals 6,000 denarii. Okay, so with that in mind, let's think of their value in terms of time, because time is precious to us. So in terms of time, one talent is equal to 16 and a quarter years of work, okay? And 10,000 talents is 164,380 years of work. So, so this is huge. So in terms of time, it's unpayable. Let's go on the next slide. In terms of money, a denarius value in money is that one denarius equals $224. Um, that's the price of silver in today's market. And one talent equals 6,000 times 224, or 1,344,000. So 10,000 talents is equal to $13,440,000. So basically you have to liquidate Apple, 
um, to, 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 pay, to pay this debt. And then 100 denarii is $22,400. Uh, in other words, there's a 600,000 to one ratio between what the first servant owes the Lord and what the slave owes to uh, the first servant. Which, which leads us to this understanding that, that the first servant who refuses to forgive can only be that way because he's completely out of touch with the amount of debt that he's been forgiven. So one of the observations just up front is, is that our inability to forgive is tied to our lack of situational awareness. We, we withhold forgiveness because we're out of touch with how much we've been forgiven. We're out of touch with how much we've been forgiven. And so the king censors the first servant and he says, because you did not forgive you will not be forgiven. And of course, Jesus says this amazing statement, which is, as the heavenly fa- my heavenly Father will do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Or in the Lord's Prayer, we pray that uh, we'll be forgiven and, and f- allow us to forgive those who sin against us and like a good preacher, Jesus doubles back. Preachers always loop around. You know that by now, right? And so after Jesus teaches this on prayer, he loops back around and he says, my heavenly father will forgive you when you forgive. But if you don't forgive, my heavenly father will not forgive you. Now, we can modify that. We can dilute it. But the reality is we, we need to let the force of those words weigh in upon us. Because what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God is like a king who forgives but has little toleration for those who don't. There's something that's fundamentally incompatible doesn't fit. Square peg in a round hole. It doesn't fit. There's something fundamentally incompatible with someone saying that they follow Jesus but intentionally withhold forgiveness. There's something absolutely incompatible with the kingdom that Jesus is bringing and those who would wish to reside in it but will not respond and be quick to forgive. So let me share with you this morning um, a couple things uh, that I've learned about forgiveness. The first is, is that forgiveness is grounded in the Father of us. And the reason why I say it that way is that um, most of us know the Lord's Prayer, right? It says, it begins, our Father was in heaven. In the Greek, it literally would be translated father of us. That there's, we have this common father. We, we have this father. We have this shared parent together. 
And because of that shared parent, uh, that parent expects his family, his community, to reflect certain truths. And one of those is our quickness, our capacity to forgive. When Jesus um, answers Peter's question, Peter's question was this. He says, how often shall I forgive my brother? In other words, this is not about forgiving strangers. This is about forgiving people that are in our circle of relationships, that are in our community, that a Jesus community is a community where forgiveness is generously given and, and humbly received. So it's not about strangers, and therefore your, your desire, your behavior, your choice to forgive is going to be fundamentally related and grounded in the Father of us. And what I've observed over the years is, is that there's two kinds of relationships that you can have with God. Uh, one is transactional or business-like, and the other one is personal. In a transactional relationship, your relationship with God is business-like. It's conditional. It's what I have to give. My doing defines my being, my performance merits my acceptance. In a personal relationship, it's a family friendship relationship, not a business relationship. It's an unconditional relationship versus a conditional relationship. It's about who I am, not what I have. It's my being defines my doing rather than my doing defines my being. And my acceptance inspires my performance. My performance does not merit my acceptance. And usually how I can tell if a person has a personal or a transactional relationship with God is how we handle the challenge of unanswered prayer. I have a very close friend. Uh, he and his wife uh, are going through a really hellish time. Um, and she said to him, on one occasion, you know, we have given our whole life to serving Jesus. I don't understand why this is happening. My heart broke when I heard that because I thought they've been living their whole life in a transactional relationship. Transactions create conditions. If I do this, then you'll do that. And if our relationship with God is a transactional relationship, some of us were raised in families where our performance merited our acceptance. But it's not like that with the Lord. And therefore, our capacity to forgive is going to be based on whether this relationship is personal or transactional. They're two entirely different things. When we pray to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, a transactional uh, prayer would almost be like, God, come into my life, be my landlord. I will do my things and you will do your things for me. When I obey you, you will reward me. When I do the things you want me to do, then you will bless me with the things that I ask for. 
But a personal relationship is when we surrender our lives to him. And like the Lord's Prayer, it's no longer not my will, but your will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Forgiveness illustrates that, that we've surrendered to that. That our context, our circumstances, uh, don't dictate our reactions or our responses. Our relationship with God does. The second thing is, is that forgiveness is going to be an intentional act that's grounded in the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's an act of the will. It's part of the lifelong surrender that a Christian offers to God as we seek to follow Jesus. That's why I can never be a counselor. Uh, I don't have the patience to be a counselor, but here's where I struggle. Uh, There's best-selling Christian authors who are counseling Uh, talk about that when it comes to forgiveness, we have three possible responses, all of which are okay. Yes, I choose to forgive. No, I choose not to forgive. Maybe later when I'm ready. And I cannot square those responses with the teaching of Christ in the scriptures. Where is there any place in the entirety of the scriptures, let alone the the New Testament, where Jesus says, forgive someone later? Forgive them when you're ready. (laughs) Or don't forgive them at all. it's, It's all in your wheelhouse. You can choose. So so therein lies the problem, is, is that forgiveness is the response and the intentional choice that a follower of Jesus Christ makes. It's not my right to withhold forgiveness. To withhold forgiveness and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ is incompatible with the kingdom that he's called me to live in. It's an intentional act. And because it's an intentional act, uh, we, we owe it to him to offer forgiveness. Now listen, we can be admirers of Jesus, right? An admirer of Jesus is when we find Jesus interesting, when we find Jesus appealing, he's attractive. We like how he mixes relationships. We like how he gives grace to others. We're fascinated by how he can establish relationships. You know, whenever you play a time travel game and you think like, what part in history would you like to be, go back to? You know, someone once asked me, what part of the New Testament would you like to, if you could go back in time, what would you like to witness? And, and honestly, I don't need to see the empty tomb. I don't need to see the cross. I don't need to see the miracles. Um, I'm, I'm convinced of all that. What, what I would like to go back and see is I want to go back to Jesus' dinner 
at Simon's house when all these tax collectors and prostitutes are present and Jesus goes in and engages and has conversations with people whose choices and lifestyles are diametrically opposed to his and yet he engages them dynamically. That's what I want to see. Because frequently if someone says, well, what do you do for a living? And you say you're a pastor and they're not a Christian, it's like conversation killer. <laughs> Absolute conversation killer. When I first moved to San Diego, I used to go down to Balboa Park to play basketball at the old gym because um, I was told that NBA, retired NBA people play play ball there. And so like I'm playing ball with Bill Walton who you know, had no knees even then, but he could go to the half-court line and poke three-point shots in without even looking. But you're playing basketball with him, but inevitably the conversation would go, what do you do? And it got to the point where I want to have a conversation with these guys. So I would start to say, well, I'm in design. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes I do interior design work. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I would say, you know, I, I help people take out the trash. I, I, uh, you know, just like whatever would keep the conversation going because you just know the minute you say pastor's like untouchable. You know, oh, you get, if someone swears, they go, oh, sorry, I'm sure you never, like, you've never heard that before, right? And so it's, it's like, you know, you, you can be an admirer of Jesus, But there's a difference between being a follower and admirer. There's a world of difference. There's a world of difference between simply receiving Jesus as your Savior, which is only going halfway. So we keep Jesus at half distance. There's a world of difference between receiving him as Savior and surrendering to him as Lord. Forgiveness is in the surrender side of things. So let me share with you quickly what three, some things that forgiveness is not and does not require. First thing is, is that forgiveness does not require restitution. You cannot expect someone to pay you off before you forgive them. Because really, there's nothing they can do. There's no sum of money. There's, there, there's no value that they can give to you that returns the loss or the hurt or the pain that that violation has created within you. So the first thing is forgiveness does not require restitution. Forgiveness does not require that the other person repents first. Jesus says from the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing before anyone has ever repented. Repentance doesn't move forgiveness. 
Discipleship requires repentance first. Forgiveness does not. Forgiveness is something that the offended person offers independent of whether someone repents. Forgiveness does not require us to put people on probation first. Well, I'll watch your behavior towards me. And, and if you prove yourself, if you perform well, then I'll forgive you. So we put people on probation. Forgiveness does not require immediate reconciliation. In other words, when we forgive someone, it doesn't mean that we're resetting the relationship as if that offense never happened. Forgiveness is a choice. It happens like that. And then through intentional reinforcement, through prayer, through how we think, controlling our mind or thoughts, we we move towards forgiveness. But that does not mean, it does not require immediate reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different realities. And then finally, Forgiveness does not require forgetting. So often I hear people say, you know, I, you, you haven't truly forgiven someone if you can't forget. Now, it does mean that in forgiving someone that we choose not to carry a grudge. But it doesn't mean that we forget the pain. I'll give you a simple illustration. Uh, years, we have four daughters, and um, we were going furniture shopping for a new kitchen table because after our third child had been born, uh, we had outgrown uh, the, the table. So uh, Carol and I went uh, to Jerome's out in Miramar, uh, that was their only warehouse at the time, and we're, we're looking for a, a kitchen table, and we come into the um, store, and it's, it's this massive warehouse, and we have one of our kids with us, and, and she comes in, and she's notorious for having to use the bathroom, and once we realize that the kitchen tables are in the farthest corner um, practically the enormous warehouse. You're practically down by Tijuana to go look at <laughs> kitchen tables. And so, so we, I say to her, I said, do you need to go use the bathroom? Because the tables are way down there and we don't want to have to come back all this way. And she looks at me like I'm dumb as nails and, and says, no. So I go, okay. So we walk takes us 10 minutes to get to the corner of the thing, and we're out there, and she turns to me and yanks on my arm and says, Daddy, I need to go to the bathroom. Well, being the patient, <laughs> godly man that I'm not, uh, I say to her, what do you mean you have to go to the bathroom? Just hold it. <laughs> and she's about like that. She looks up at me, and she goes, I, I, I can't. <laughs> so... Fine. So I go storming off, and she's got her little blankie with her, and she's following after me. I'm about 10 paces ahead, and, and uh, we get to the men's bathroom, and I'm furious, and, and I kick the kick plate of the door and kick the door open, and it, I hear it bang against the wall, and I'm marching into the bathroom. The next thing I hear this little voice say, Daddy, my finger. 
And I look over at her and she's holding her hand like this and blood is coming out through the other fingers. I go over to her and I take her hand away and the door had banged off the wall and slammed back the other way and had degloved the top of her finger. So the tip was gone and just the bone is out. And at that point, daddy's in shock. And I pick her up under my arm and take her to the sink and we're letting the water rinse it off. And then I have her under my arm and and I'm looking on the floor for the tip, and I find the tip, and I wrap it in wet paper towel, thinking like, "That's what's that going to do?" You know. But, but, um, and then I, I I run out of the room, and I yell uh, for my wife Caroline. I said, "We got to go now!" And and we get in the car, and and we're we're gonna. There's no place we can take her then uh, there, so we're driving over to Scripps, about 20 minutes away, and and. Um, all I'm thinking about as I'm driving is what a horrible father I am. And that verse in the scripture where Jesus says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your father, how much more? Well, I'm thinking, I don't even know how to give a, I chopped her finger off. I mean, what, what kind of dad am, am I? And, and I mean, my mind is filled. And all of a sudden, this little voice from the back seat says, it's okay, Daddy. I forgive, I forgive you. I mean, I, w- I was undone. I-, I was undone by that. We get to the hospital. We go in emergency her older sister shows up to see her and, and, and she holds out her finger and says, look at my finger. And her, her older sister nearly faints on the floor and we go in, the doctor, I say, I've, I saved the tip, aren't I good? He goes, we can't use that. And he just throws it like that, gone. Then he gets out what looks like a nail clipper and clips off the top. I'm going, wait, that's her bone. He goes, it's no good anymore. And he goes, hopefully... So, we now have, in, in our family, we, we now have the infamous owie finger. Okay. And all her life, growing up, we have the owie finger. And if you look at that finger up close, you'll see it's misshapen. She has the scar from it. We remember that day. We remember that trauma. We remember that pain. It's not like a broken bone where it mends and you forget about it and you never look at it again. You look at this finger and it is the owie finger. The scar is there. The deformation is there. We can even talk about it. But because it's a forgiven act, 
there's freedom. And that's what it's like for us when we forgive. You won't forget the scar, the pain. You know what it is. But the will to forgive. Forgiveness it has two sides. It's, it's, it's the side of mercy and grace. A mercy um, does not give, act, behave in a way that a person deserves. And grace gives to a person what they don't deserve. And that's the act of forgiveness. In Jesus, God does not give us what we deserve, but God also gives to us what we don't deserve. And forgiveness is your choice. It's your call. If your life is transactional, if you view God in a transactional way, if you relate to him that way, then forgiveness becomes incredibly difficult because your view of God has distorted and misshaped your soul. But if our foundation is rooted in a relationship with the Father of us, if we have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, then forgiveness becomes an act, an intentional choice. Will you feel like it all the time? Absolutely not. Can a slave say to his or her master, I don't feel like that today. That's where the surrender comes in. As followers of Jesus Christ, we choose. No one forced us. We chose to surrender our life to him. And therefore, in surrendering our life to him, we say, I am surrendering my life and I choose now to live like you. Generous and ready, quick to forgive. So that God might look upon this community called light and say, light is a community that looks like Jesus.